I want to start by saying something that I think will be uncontroversial to everyone here, which is a rare thing in 2020, and that's this. This is a difficult year. If you go back in time to uh, New Year's Eve 2019, imagine all your dreams for what 2020 would be, uh, your New Year's resolutions or whatnot. Would anyone have picked what we've seen the last nine, almost ten months? I don't think so. Um, it's, it's a tough year. And, and for that reason, I think that all of us, individually, all of us collectively, we're in some stage of grief, mourning for what we thought this year would be or thought it could be. Um, think about the, the grief all around us. We, just this past week in the United States, we passed over 200,000 deaths related to COVID in one way or another. That's a staggering amount of loss. Um, People have lost jobs, financial stability. People have lost friendships um, in the midst of this year. They've lost physical health and mental health. Um, and so it's a tough year. And that leads me to question, and you may have thought this too, what does it mean to respond to this level of grief as a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus who, who stares this level of suffering and grief in the face? How do we respond to it? Um, you know, I've seen the, the bumper stickers, and maybe you have too, or seen this on social media, the, the, the faith over fear. Have you seen that? Yeah, that, that one's going around a lot, and that, that's a proposed way to, to respond. Uh, this idea that uh, having faith means not being afraid in the face of scary things. That, uh, and I, I think this idea of faith over fear, it tends to actually minimize our pain, explain it away, or kind of pretend that it isn't there. So is that the Christian way to respond, to kind of stick our head in the sand and, and, and power through? Or Those metaphors don't really work together. But um, in our passage this morning, though, in John chapter 11, I think we get a picture of what faith in Jesus looks like in the face of tremendous loss and grief. But more importantly, we get an invitation to find God with us in Jesus, with us in our grief, an invitation to come to him in our anger, in our frustration, in our sadness, and even in our fear, and not be turned away. So before we read the passage, just a little bit of background. What's going on in John chapter 11? This is just a couple of weeks before Jesus is arrested and crucified and raised from the dead in Jerusalem. Um, what's just happened before this passage is Jesus, uh, <laughs> he's basically a marked man. He has a bounty out on his head. <laughs> Last time he was in Jerusalem, the religious leaders decided this guy's too much of a threat. Um, he's claiming to be uh, a God who's bringing salvation, and so they begin to plot, and he and his disciples, Jesus and his disciples, are on the run. And so they have fled from Jerusalem, but they get word that this man that Jesus is really close to, a close friend named Lazarus, is dead, or is sick. He's sick, and Lazarus' family is saying, Jesus, please come. We know that you can heal him. But Jesus' disciples are very worried. They're very scared because they're thinking, if we go near Jerusalem again, I don't think we can escape this time. I don't think we can get away from the authorities this time. Um, we're going to get captured. And it, it seems even to give Jesus pause because they don't leave right away. And in the time it takes them to leave where they are and to go to where Lazarus' family is, which is just outside, of, it's like a suburb of Jerusalem, a town called Bethany, um, Lazarus dies. And so our passage picks up here in verse 32 with Jesus arriving on the scene and interacting with Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. 
Um, so verse 32 of chapter 11, this is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come, who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, uh, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this remarkable um, passage of scripture. And in it, we see the tenderness of our Savior. We see the power of our Savior. And we see him as one who does not stand aloof and far off from us, but is with us in the midst of even our deepest pain. So I pray in these moments as we uh, look more at this passage that you would reveal by your spirit, this beauty and majesty of Jesus, that our hearts might be moved to love him all the more and that we might be transformed into people who are like him. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is a remarkable passage in every way. It's one that deserves to be read slowly. Um, just, just a couple of notes. Look at verse 32. Look at Mary. Is this faith over fear? In the midst of her grief, she doesn't put a strong face on. She doesn't pretend to be unbothered. What does she do? She comes to Jesus directly, and she says to him, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Pause there for a moment. Do you feel that? It's a gut-punching thing to say. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. See the answer that Jesus gives. He doesn't scold her for her lack of faith. He doesn't tell her faith over fear. He sees her, and he sees their friends weeping. It says in verse 33 that he was, what, deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He asked them in verse 34 to do what? Take him to Lazarus' grave. He sees their grief, and he asks them to take, them, take him to the very source of their pain and disappointment, and he goes with them there. He doesn't, uh, thinking about funeral, he doesn't ask to go to the buffet line and the, the, you know, the, <laughs> the church fellowship hall. He says, take me to the grave. Take me to your pain. And then comes verse 35, which I think is one of the most remarkable verses in all of Scripture. Also the shortest, if you want to have a good memory verse on hand. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Um... Even knowing what he's about to do, even knowing that he's God in the flesh, that he's going to go to Lazarus' grave and say, Lazarus, come out, and this man's going to come out of his grave. Jesus paused to weep. He entered the grief of his friends to grieve with them and joined his own grief 
to theirs. But this moment seems impossible. It seems impossible. Lazarus has been dead for days. And not only that, Lazarus' death, um, by the questions of the people there, it seems like an indictment of Jesus and his intentions and his power. As they say in verse 37, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Again, this is, this is, a, uh, this is a strong statement. But look again at how Jesus answers even that question. He doesn't blast them. He doesn't uh, scold them, even for their lack of faith. As it says, he's again deeply moved. He's deeply moved. And as he says in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now, we, we see that sentence, If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. And we think... He's talking about, he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But that's not the only thing he's talking about. Um, he's talking about where this whole story goes. If we keep reading the Gospel of John, that in a, sh- uh, a, short, a few short weeks, he himself will suffer in Jerusalem. That he'll suffer betrayal by his friends and abandonment, abandonment by his friends, fear and sorrow himself. That he'll experience a false arrest and the injustice of a false trial that he'll experience beating, mockery, literally spitting in his face, and shame, the most shameful death possible, crucifixion on a cross, stripped naked for all to see, pain and death, grief upon grief. But through this, the greatest of injustices and tragedies, the glory of God will be revealed. It seems like a paradox, right? But what's revealed is the absolute depth, depth of his love for us which is demonstrated there because it goes to the furthest depths of our human experience to free us from our bondage to sin and violence, to go even to the deepest area of our possible shame and renew us by his grace. Now, scripture tells us that his suffering is our victory, that in his suffering, he took on the very worst that our world had to offer, that he judged it in himself and he defeated it. And the invitation for us is to join our sufferings to him, to see him there with us in the midst of our sufferings, to know his tears, the Jesus who weeps in our tears, to know his pain and our pain, to know his loss and his grief in the midst of our loss and grief. But not just that, but to know that his resurrection from the dead three days later was the dawning of a new creation that's guaranteed by him to us. He is making all things new, and that includes me, that includes you. And with him joining our grief to ours, it also means that he joins his victory. He joins his resurrection to us, a victory that can endure the deepest of our sorrow because it endured the deepest of his sorrow. And that's the good news of our passage this morning, that the story of Lazarus called forth from the midst of his grave is our story too. That we who without Jesus would find ourselves helpless in the face of suffering and death, we who are shrouded in grave clothes, we who are stuck in so many ways, buried beneath the weight of our sin and our violence, might hear the voice of our God say, Tim, come out. Megan, come out. Lila, come out. Joy, come out. That we would be called to life. And so he calls us to life. He awakens our hearts by his love to spiritual life in the here and now as we're inwardly renewed day by day. 
He also gives us the promise of the resurrection of our bodies, that our suffering, our sin, the wrong of this world is not the final word. He is making all things new. I mentioned, uh, well, I actually didn't mention this at the beginning, but I think in our world, our suffering and the suffering of others can sometimes feel like one long run-on sentence. It's suffering, comma, more suffering, comma, frustration, comma, disappointment, comma, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus enters our suffering and he suffers himself. And in doing that, he tells us that there is an emphatic period at the end of the sentence, that our suffering, no matter how deep and real, does not go on forever. He enters our suffering to infuse it with meaning because he is with us. And he enters our suffering to bring it to an end. I can't tell you the ins and outs of that and how that works in our individual lives. I can't tell you why bad things happen uh, in this world and how they happen. And, uh, and honestly, if any pastor or anyone else tries to, don't listen to them. They're, they're really just guessing. Um, but I can tell you this. God loves you, and Jesus is proof of that. In the face of our pain, in the face of our questions, he just he didn't just show up as a philosopher to give us intellectual answers. In the face of our pain, he entered it, and he gives us himself. He gives us himself, which is part of what we'll celebrate in the Lord's Supper in just a moment. So as we partake this morning of this little bread and this little bit of grape juice, Let's know that our God is with us, bending in his mysterious way all things, even our greatest tragedies, toward our good and our salvation. Let's pray.